Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. So many people have a lot of very strong feelings when it comes to the topic of abortion. This is a real hot-button topic, and especially with the recent U.S. Supreme Court ruling in June of this year. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think it's important to talk about this as a medical rather than a political issue. As pediatricians, one of the organizations that we value and rely on for guidance is from our professional society, the American Academy of Pediatrics. We often abbreviate this to AAP, and this is a well-respected organization that puts children first. They don't advocate on behalf of pediatricians as much as children. And when it comes to the issue of abortion, they are unequivocally clear that we as pediatricians should provide counseling to pregnant teens in a non-judgmental, developmentally appropriate manner about the full range of pregnancy options, one of which is abortion. We also respect patient autonomy and value that provider-patient relationship, and some of the laws related to abortion in certain states can interfere with this. In addition, restrictive abortion laws disproportionately impact those with limited incomes and Black, Indigenous, and people of color, resulting in health inequities. But I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So before we talk about abortion, let's talk about pregnancy. We did release an episode in December that discusses contraceptions and the pros and cons of each different form of birth control. And there are declining rates of teen pregnancies in the U.S., recently reaching the lowest rate in more than 70 years. However, there are still about 750,000 teen pregnancies every year, with more than 80% of these unplanned. Yeah, so while the declining rate is great, it's also vital for pediatricians to be able to provide care and counseling for our patients as they make these emotional and life-changing decisions for themselves. So during this discussion, we will be discussing the issue of abortion consistent with the policies of the American Academy of Pediatrics, as well as public statements issued by our parent institution, the University of California. So, for example, on June 24th of this year, the University of California president, Michael Drake, issued a statement that read, We strongly support allowing individuals to access evidence-based health care services and make decisions about their own care in consultation with their medical provider. And they pledge to provide the full range of health care options possible in California, including reproductive health services. And just to be clear, we're not speaking for the American Academy of Pediatrics or for the university. We're discussing our interpretation of these policies as well as our practices. Yeah, and we respect that many people may have strong and complicated personal feelings, moral and or religious beliefs or claims of conscience that differ from the viewpoints expressed during our relatively short discussion today. However, the options presented are intended not to impose our own moral beliefs on our patients or our listeners. So before we talk about abortion, let's talk about our general approach to teen pregnancy. Right. The priority is for the pregnant teen to have prompt access to medical care and make sure that they have basic, accurate information about all of their options. So I'll be Dr. Obvious here and state that the options include having and raising the baby, 
having the baby with plans for others to raise the baby, such as relatives or an adoptive family, or terminating the pregnancy. Right. And depending on where you live, medical providers may have restrictions on providing unbiased counseling to pregnant teenagers. This depends on federal as well as state laws and policies. Here in California, we're able to provide the full range of pregnancy options where we practice. The first option that we mentioned is to have and raise the child. Most teens choose this option. Yeah, since medical complications and preterm birth are more common in adolescent pregnancies compared to women in their 20s, it's really vital for teenagers to have access to early care. So we encourage healthy lifestyle choices such as having a healthy diet, prenatal vitamins, exercise, and avoiding alcohol, tobacco products, and illicit drugs. And then we need to talk about how teens will plan for support for their baby after they're born. We encourage them to raise healthy children and also to work to achieve their own personal and life goals, recognizing that continuing education or pursuing career options can be more challenging but can definitely be done. Another option is for teens to have the baby with plans for someone else to raise them. One common arrangement is called kinship care, so that would be having a grandparent or other relative take on the role as the primary caregiver. So this can be done formally through child welfare systems or informally with private arrangements. Some teenagers may not feel like they have suitable kinship care options, so they may choose foster care instead. And these arrangements may allow teens' involvement with raising their child with the option to take responsibility as the parent in the future. Children in kinship care appear to do better as compared to children who are cared for by unrelated foster parents, but of course these arrangements may not be feasible for all teenagers. It's important to also be aware of some of the challenges of kinship care. For example, if this is done informally, then the relatives may not have the authority to give legal consent for needed treatments, including routine stuff like immunizations. It's also important for older caregivers to be aware of the changes to safety recommendations, such as like the new safe sleep guidelines or car seats needing to be rear-facing and injury prevention in the household. So making sure that they're up to date with the most current recommendations. Adoption is also an option for teens who want to have their baby but don't feel able or ready to be a parent. There are a lot of families in the U.S. who are waiting to adopt a child. Although this is a legal decision and binding, many states in the U.S. have periods of days to months that allow for the birthing mother to change her mind with regards to adoption. Adoptions may be public, and that is placement is done by a state agency or by an organization that's contracted by the state. Private or independent adoptions are arranged by attorneys, physicians, and clergy members or other facilitators. Closed adoptions keep the names of the birth mother and the adoptive parents secret. Compared to an open adoption in which the birth mother may choose to select the adoptive parents and maintain contact with them. Open adoptions can sometimes result in less guilt or grief for birth parents, but not always. Again, this is a unique decision for each family. So some teens may consider terminating the pregnancy. So now let's talk about the abortion option. Right. Some pregnant teens will consider abortion, and that's why we as pediatricians need to be able to provide accurate information in a non-judgmental way. We also respect the diversity of abortion beliefs, and we encourage teens who are considering abortion to discuss this with a parent or other trusted adult. 
Teenagers can benefit from the experience and wisdom of adults, as well as the emotional and financial support. Adolescents also need to be aware of confidentiality issues, since many U.S. states require parents' involvement when a minor is seeking an abortion. Most teens will voluntarily talk with their parents about abortion decisions. However, laws that require a parent's involvement may actually cause them harm. Right, these laws can't dictate healthy communication within families, and they may end up endangering the teen that they are trying to protect. So some teens may come from a dysfunctional family, and involving their parents increases their risk of emotional or physical abuse. This may result in family violence, homelessness, suicide, delayed access to medical care, illegal or self-induced abortion, or later abortions, which are riskier than earlier abortions. We always hope that teenagers have strong family relationships and can comfortably discuss abortion with supportive parents, but sadly, this is not true for all teenagers. And that's why a whole host of health professional organizations have reached a consensus that minors should not be compelled or required to involve her parents in her decision to obtain an abortion. This includes the American Medical Association, the Society for Adolescent Health and Medicine, the American Public Health Association, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and others. To be extra clear, we do encourage pregnant teens to discuss this with her parents and or other responsible adults. However, multiple studies have shown that adolescents who strongly oppose telling their parents about their abortion plans are usually correct about the harmful family reactions that can subsequently occur. So we want to emphasize that these conclusions result from objective analyses of current data and are not personal opinion. It is vitally important for teens to have access to legal abortion services. If restricted abortion laws are in place, this increases the danger of unsafe abortions. So an unsafe abortion is defined by the World Health Organization as a procedure of pregnancy termination either by persons lacking the necessary skills or in an environment that does not conform to minimal medical standards or both. In a developed country like the United States, it's estimated that 30 women die for every 100,000 unsafe abortions. We know that unsafe abortions are strongly correlated with laws banning or restricting access to abortions, and infections are one of the top health risks. When abortions were legalized in the U.S. starting in the 1960s, there was almost a 90% decline in septic abortions from 1950 to 1979. Septic abortions are abortions complicated by infection of the uterus and blood clots, which may result in death or inability to have children in the future. Sepsis or blood poisoning and other secondary infections are commonly associated with illegal unsafe abortions, and delays in care for these infections are life-threatening. Abortions are sometimes needed for pregnancy complications, such as a woman's water breaking in the first trimester or an ectopic pregnancy. That's when an egg is fertilized and implants and grows outside of the main body of the uterus, such as in the fallopian tube. This can be life-threatening to the mom unless an abortion is performed quickly. Limitations in abortion access will result in delayed abortions as patients will struggle to identify and travel to locations that provide appropriate medical care. This will also result in an increased risk of complications, including infections, the later the abortion is performed. 
In 2019, 10% of abortions were performed on individuals whose state of residence was known to be different from the state where the abortion actually occurred. This number will likely increase with the recent abortion access restrictions in many states, resulting in further abortion delays and more complications. For teens considering abortion, they should discuss medical and surgical options with a trained, licensed provider. Teens might need financial assistance for abortion since there may be significant out-of-pocket expenses. In general, we advise avoiding pregnancy crisis centers since many of these have an agenda and they may not offer non-judgmental or accurate counseling. There are many different methods of terminating a pregnancy. One is commonly referred to as taking abortion pills or a medication abortion. This is a great option for those who are less than 11 weeks pregnant or 77 days since the first day of the last period. Although I have to say, many teenagers may not know this time frame exactly. This may involve two pills, mifepristone and misoprostol, or the latter alone. The most common method is using the combination of pills, mifepristone first and then misoprostol one to two days later. Using this approach, it's 95 to 98% effective, and it has the fewest side effects. This method is recommended by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, or you'll see this abbreviated to ACOG. This is the Professional Society for Obstetricians, and this is provided by clinics like Planned Parenthood. As well as potentially your healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. Another option is to use the misoprostol alone, but this is less effective than the combination, 85% versus greater than 95% with the combination of medications you mentioned. Both of these methods are safe. The mifoprostone works by blocking pregnancy hormones, and misoprostol causes cramping and bleeding that causes the pregnancy to end and come out of the uterus like a miscarriage. There are a few hours of heavy bleeding and cramping, followed by several days of light bleeding. These medications are obtained by prescription in the U.S. from doctors or clinics, sometimes via telehealth, but it's also possible to get them without a prescription from online pharmacies. Now, we would recommend getting it from a doctor or clinic um, rather than an online pharmacy, but for some people, um, it may not be available from doctors or clinics in their state. Right. Abortion pills work best if used within the first 11 weeks of pregnancy. If they're used later in pregnancy, they're less effective and would result in more pain. The pills cost between $40 and $600, and some services accept insurance or offer discounts for those who can't pay. Right, and these pills are different from the Plan B or the morning after pill that we discussed in the contraceptives episode. Plan B is emergency contraception. That's taken up to five days after having intercourse without birth control to prevent pregnancy. Right. Before taking an abortion pill, most people confirm that they're pregnant by taking a pregnancy test, but no other medical tests are usually needed before taking these pills. Now, we mentioned that the abortion pills are not 100% effective. If they don't work, they can be tried a second time, or a surgical abortion is another option. Signs that the medication abortion was not successful include no vaginal bleeding after taking the medications, continued pregnancy symptoms such as breast tenderness, nausea more than one week later, or continued bleeding more than two weeks later, or of course the lack of a menstrual period return within six weeks after. 
Medical abortions have been increasing in proportion since this option became available in the year 2000, so that they currently account for more than half of the abortions performed in the U.S. A surgical or procedural abortion is a procedure that's performed in a healthcare professional's office, a surgical center, or a hospital. They may also be referred to as an aspiration abortion, dilation and curatage, or DNC, or dilation and evacuation, or DNE. These are options for the 2 to 5% of medical abortions that don't work. Some people may prefer a surgical abortion because they would rather have this done at a clinic or a hospital and not at home, or they don't want to experience the pregnancy passing out of their body associated with the cramping and bleeding. A surgical abortion can also be completed during a specific and usually shorter time period compared to abortion pills. Whereas the medication or surgical abortion options are available for those who are less than 11 weeks pregnant, Surgical abortions may be the only option after the pregnancy is beyond 11 weeks. In general, we know that these abortions are safe. In fact, carrying a pregnancy and giving birth is much more risky than having one of these procedures. In most cases, abortion does not affect future health. And when abortion is done safely by a trained medical professional, it does not lead to future problems with fertility or a woman's ability to have a baby on their own timeline. We should talk about one other consequence of restrictive abortion laws. It's that clinics that provide abortion also offer prevention, screening, and diagnosis and treatment services for sexually transmitted infections and HIV to people regardless of income or insurance. Absolutely. I once went to a Planned Parenthood when I was young and got diagnosed with a UTI because I was afraid that it was something else. I didn't even know what was going on. It was before I knew anything about medicine. So they provide such a wide range of comprehensive care for young people. They also provide family planning services, and more than 40% of women of reproductive age in the U.S. report that family planning clinics are their only source of care. These clinics are likely to close in states that ban or severely restrict abortion, resulting in limited access to HIV and sexually transmitted infection services, leading to increases in cases and delays in diagnosis and treatment. Late diagnosis and untreated HIV would put individuals at risk for severe illness and death and also contributes to higher HIV transmission rates. Undiagnosed and untreated sexually transmitted diseases may result in infertility or pelvic inflammatory disease and may progress to sepsis, kidney injury, and death. Right. So that's why these clinics are so critically important for our young patients and really women all over the country. So I think that sums it up. Let's summarize our abortion discussion. Although teen pregnancy rates have been decreasing in the U.S., there are still a substantial number each year, and the vast majority of these are unplanned. We discussed pregnancy options, including having and raising a baby, having a baby with plans for others to raise them, such as relatives or an adoptive family, or terminating the pregnancy. Termination of pregnancy may be done with a surgical or medical abortion using abortion pills. Legislation mandating parental involvement does not achieve the attended benefit of promoting family communication, but instead increases the risk of harm to the adolescent by delaying access to appropriate care and increasing the rate of unwanted births. Access to safe abortion services is vital for the health and well-being of pregnant adolescents. 
The U.S. already has the highest rate of maternal mortality of any developed nation, and this is likely to increase in the wake of restricted access to safe abortions. In addition, reduced abortion access reduces economic, race, and ethnic equity. When teens learn that they are pregnant, this often results in complex and sensitive emotions for teens, their partner, and their family. Parents and families can be a strong source of support and wisdom during this time. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 